go to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to continue our study in Galatians. Um, If you remember last week, um, Paul gives us the story of going... Uh, it's sort of his story of conversion, how he got converted, and then what he did. What he did in, in chapter one, verse eighteen, he told us that for three years that he went up and visited Peter. Now, um, he helped do things with the church for, with the Gentiles. He, he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. That was his entire mission by God: was you're going to give the gospel to the Gentiles. And so he goes up three years after his conversion and meets and visits with Peter and, and counsels with him, works alongside him in getting the gospel out. Now, last week I read, like my version of the Bible, I, I preach out of the ESV, my version of the Bible said Cephas. So my wife was confused and she said, well, what in the world? My Bible said Peter and you said Cephas. What in the world? Well, Cephas is just Aramaic for Peter. So for continuity's sake, we're just going to say Peter. And confusion's sake, I don't want to confuse anybody. Um, so it's Peter that we talk about when I said Cephas. So just know that. Um, so we're going to see here in chapter 2. This Okay, so you know in a movie when something happens and then you, it goes to the next scene. And at the bottom of it it will say six months later, three years later. Some time later, you guys know what I'm talking about? Now we're going to see at the bottom of the screen scroll across 14 years later. So this is 14 years after Paul's conversion. So we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, which Barnabas is known for what? Encouragement. That was his, one of his gifts. Um, in in at camp, we used to do a thing called Barnabas Notes, where you would write an encouraging note to your fellow campers and, and encouraging them in their faith. And Barnabas was known for encouraging. So he takes Barnabas as well as Titus along with him. I went up because of a revelation that had been set before me, though privately before those who had seemed influential, I preached the gospel. I proclaimed, among, I proclaimed it among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced into circumcision, though he was Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly coming in and spying out our freedoms that we had in Christ Jesus so that we might be brought back into slavery. To them we did not yield any submission, not even, for, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So I want to just stop right there and we'll, we'll keep going in a minute. But I, I want us to see this, that for, after 14 years of his conversion, Paul goes again to the church of Jerusalem. So remember at the end of chapter 1, he goes three years later to the church of Jerusalem, has a meeting with the with the apostles in this moment, because remember what what at the, at the end of verse eight, or I'm sorry, chapter one, they said what? They had not really heard. They didn't know who Paul was. They had just heard of Paul. He was the one who had been what persecuting us, and now he's preaching our same gospel. 
So this was a man who was a Jew that persecuted and now by the power of of Jesus Christ he's been redeemed and reconciled and now he is what? Preaching and proclaiming the same gospel. So this was three years after his conversion he meets and then fast forward 14 14 years later he's coming back. Why? Well verse 2 tells us. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation so you guys can get a little bit bit better understanding of what is going on. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with some who considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was racing for nothing. I was running the race for nothing. So Paul wanted to meet with the church in Jerusalem and he wanted to make sure the doctrines were lining up. He wanted to make sure that the gospel was being preserved and preached appropriately and correctly. So this reference in chapter 2 verses 2 through 11 or 2 through 10 is more than likely what happened in Acts chapter 15. It's called the Jerusalem Council. This was a council that was convening to talk about the issue of Gentiles. More specifically, Gentiles being saved. Because there was a faction of Jews, there was a large percentage of Jews that only believed that the gospel saved them. They were the only ones getting in. That's what they thought. That's what they believed. There were certain groups in, in the early church that said, nobody else is getting in. It's just us. It's just the Jews. And so they convened at this Jerusalem council because, well, Paul's preaching to the Gentiles and, wait a minute, people are getting saved. How is this even, how can people get saved? Because they're not, they're not Jews, they're Gentiles. So they have this, this, con, this convention, this convening, and they talk about the issues of Gentiles being saved. There were some in the church who thought Gentiles were, were not allowed in. They couldn't get into heaven. They were dogs. That's what they thought. And to push, the, to, to, to push it even further and to get even more confusion, there were some Jews that said, yeah, 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 they can be saved, but they've got to do more than just be saved. They've got to be circumcised, and they've got to keep the law of Moses. So, back to the idea of works and grace being mixed. Another reason why Paul in the beginning of the text says, man, what in the world are you doing? I'm astonished that you've, you've abandoned the gospel. What in the actual world are you doing? So, he states, go to Acts 15. Let's just run over to Acts 15. Got your Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 15. I want you guys to see this, because this is a really interesting, uh, this convening, this Jerusalem council coming together, um, having this conversation. Could you imagine, um, these are all the church leaders. This is the who's who of the church at this time. They've gathered together to discuss core doctrines, and whether or not this is legitimately a real thing that, that Gentiles are being saved. So he states um, in, in Acts 15 verse 11, Paul says, We believe that we are all saved the same way. How? By the undeserved grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there's this deliberation that takes place in the text and they start to unravel they start to talk about this and they start to try to figure out what in the world should these people be saved 
So the leadership of the church agrees that yes, after a lot of deliberation, there's a lot going back and forth, back and forth. Should they be saved? Are they in? Are they allowed in? And after much deliberation, the leadership of the church agrees that yes, God can do what God wants to do. (laughs) Like, but think about that. Like we do the exact same thing in the world today. How many of us have thought, man, there's no way that God could save that person. There's no way that God could do, that God could never, we put chains on what God can and can't do. Well, God could never save that person because, well, they're a mess. How many of us in the room have ever been a mess before? (laughs) Did God save you? Come on. Okay? So what do we, we believe what? That we're saved by grace. So God can do what he wants to do. So in Acts 15, verse 22, it sort of kind of gives us account of what, an account of what took place during this meeting. Paul and Barnabas tell the story of their missionary journey. So you guys, have you guys remember in, in church when you were, uh, when I was a kid, how many of you guys remember missionaries coming and sharing their stories of what they'd done on the mission field? They come and they, they put up a screen or a TV and they get their computer and they put a PowerPoint presentation and there's pictures of little, you know, Mexican kids or African kids running around on the plane. They're doing all, like, they show the pictures of what we've done. I went to Nicaragua and I came back and we shared a PowerPoint presentation of all the cool stuff we did. So Paul and Barnabas are standing in front of the church. They don't have PowerPoint, but they are telling the story of how and what they did on their missionary journey. So... And, and how God worked through them to bring salvation to people that the church thought there's no way. There's no way that these people could be saved. But wait a minute. They're getting saved. How does this work out? So let's, let's look at Acts 15. We're going to start in verse 12. All the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related that the, the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has revealed and related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his own name. And with the words of the prophets, uh, they agree, and it's written. So now he's going to quote Amos chapter 9 and verse 16. After this, I return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it to the remnant of mankind, and they may seek the Lord, and that all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from all of old. Therefore, now James is still speaking. This is one of the disciples. James says, therefore, it's my judgment After reading the Old Testament, after reading God's word and lining it up and hearing the testimony of what Paul's doing, therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble these Gentiles who turn to God. We shouldn't say, there's no way these these people could be saved. My judgment is that we should leave them alone. And we should rather write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and sexual immorality, from what what is strangled and from blood, for... From ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. And then verse 22 of Acts 15 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles. So you've got to have a good debate sometimes in a business meeting. Amen? Just had a good debate. 
But it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and everyone in the church. And they had chose a men, they chose men among them and sent them to Antioch and Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas and leading men among the brothers. So they said, okay, we got brothers now that can go to these Gentiles and preach. We're going to send you guys back and we're going to see what happens. And we're going to proclaim the, the gospel. And so... In verse 16 through 18, James quotes Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. And so that idea in verse 16 through 18 is pulled out of the Old Testament. So he quotes Amos and says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God did say he was going to save some Gentiles. Wait a minute. God did tell us. Guys, this is the thing that blows my mind is that God has been telling the same story from the beginning. Like there's been no difference We're saved by grace through faith alone. The entire Bible is one book just split into two sections. And we've got churches in this town who say, man, you shouldn't be teaching from the Old Testament. That's not appropriate. I just want to like shake those folks. What's wrong with you? It's God's word. It's either all God's word or it's none of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 all scripture is theophanuskis, God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. And don't let people tell you that the Old Testament has no place in 2021 because the Old Testament does and it's relevant and there is information there that will transform and change your life. Amen? Okay. We'll just get that out of the way. So, the church is now in agreement that God can save whoever he wants to save. Like, that just blows my mind that the church was debating this. Like, God can't save. God can save. Like, that they thought this. But we do the same exact thing. We can do the exact same thing in the church. And we're smart enough not to say things like this, but sometimes we might think that there is no way, absolutely no way, that God could save that dude or that that girl. She's too big of a mess. He's too big of a mess. He's done too many bad things. There's no way that God can save him. But let me just preface this. Y'all remember, we talked about two weeks ago. How bad was Paul? Like, that brother was a murderous fiend. And he found pleasure in killing Christians. So think about that. Like, that's crazy to me. But God said, you're mine. So God can save whoever God wants to save. It's up to God to do the saving. And here's the thing. It's not my job. It's not your job to save anyone. It's our job just to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who saves and he's the one who redeems. Amen? So we're just faithful to preach the gospel. Man. Now, why did all this happen? All of this happened because there were false brothers who step into the church, they slip into the church, and they try to just say, wait a minute, what you're preaching is not appropriate. You've got too much freedom. You can't have that kind of freedom. You've got to have, there's things you've got to do. You've got to do certain things to make things happen. And you can't make that happen. Why? Because we as human beings love to try to, think about every other religion in the world. You've got to do something in order to appease God. Whether it's Roman Catholicism, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's Hinduism, whether whatever, you've got to do something. It's never just grace alone. It's grace plus my good works. Why? Because we as human beings love to boast in what we can do. 
Think about the movie Castaway. You guys remember Tom Hanks' Castaway? When he makes the fire, what's he state? He goes, I am the smartest man alive. Right? Because he made a fire. And he, like, that's what we as human beings love to do. We're like, look what I did. I did something awesome. I'm smart. I'm talented. Look at me. That's what human beings love to do. And so this in comes the gospel that it's no longer about me and what I can do. It's about Jesus and what he can do. And so this is being preached in the church. And there's these false brothers who come in and say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let's get in here. And they get into the church and they start to sow seeds of doubt and say, wait a minute, it's not really grace alone. You've got to do something. Verse 4 of Galatians. So go back to Galatians chapter 2. Verse 4. There were false brothers secretly. So these guys, uh, number one. They said they loved Jesus and they followed Jesus, but secretly they were lost pagans. But they were religious enough to try to come into the church and they could speak the lingo. They could say the words and say, amen. Let me raise my hand here. Oh, yes. They could quote the Old Testament. They knew what to say. There was these false brothers who secretly brought, were brought in. They slipped in to spy out our freedoms that we had in Christ Jesus so that we might be brought back into slavery. So they're looking at Christians' freedoms and they're saying, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. You're not circumcised? You're not, you're not doing it, you're, you're doing work on the Sabbath? You're, you're doing, you're, you're swatting flies away on the Sabbath? Oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you shouldn't do this. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You, could, you can't act that. You can't do this. You can't do this. So they, get, they pull out their rules and regulations book and say, listen, here's what you can and can't do. Who said that? Well, you know, we've always done it this way. So we've got to do it this way because we've always done it. So these false brothers say, listen, you've got to change the way you're acting. You've got to change your behavior. So he says what? That we might be brought back into slavery of works-based mentality. But verse 5, to them we did not yield into submission even for one second. Ooh, I love that. So that the truth of the actual gospel might be preserved for you. So there's freedom in Christ. So I want to say this. The freedom in Christ is key to our walk as Christians. Amen? It's a pillar. Now, here's what I want to just say because there's, there's, man, it's messy, muddy water sometimes. And I want to try to clear it up as best I can. Sometimes what happens is you find people in the church who really don't want to submit to anything or anyone or any authoritative structure. They just want to do what they want to do. And oftentimes I find people in the church who say, man, I'm free in Christ. I'm covered by grace so I can do what I want. I can have sex with who I want. I can get drunk if I want. I can go get stoned out of my mind. I can lie if I want. It's okay to say a lie every once in a while. If it covers for me or my family, it's okay. I can do this. I can do this. And so there's no longer this idea of actually submitting to God's authority. And they use the, the idea of, well, I'm free in Christ so I can do what I want. That's not the gospel. Amen? That's not the gospel. There's a fine line between freedom in Christ and carnality or worldliness. John MacArthur says, 
Our liberty is controlled by three things. Our Christian freedom and Christian liberty is controlled by three things. Controlled by purity of life, loving others, and obeying God's word. And and these are the things that cause us to walk in the spirit. Those that are things that that cause us to enjoy to the fullest our freedoms in Christ. So I want to unpack a couple of these ideas. Um, So the first one is purity of life. Number one. So if you're taking notes, you can write purity of life. Matthew chapter 5 verse 8, Jesus tells us, Blessed are those pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So this idea that you have been given, the, the idea in that text, the pure heart, you've been given a new, regenerated, brand new, pure heart by Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, you long to see and do pure things because God rules and reigns in your heart. I'm not. Now, listen, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying behavior modification is Christianity. Behavior modification is exhausting carnality that is trying to show off your goodness. Behavior modification is the idea of I got to get my a new lady. She said, man, I'll get to church when I get my life straightened out. And then I'll get to church. Let me get to church first and then I'll, or let me get myself straightened up and then I'll come to God. That's not how the gospel works. You come to God broken, messed up, and completely unworthy. That's how you come to Christ. Broken in at the end of yourself and willing and ready to repent. Behavior modification is, I've got to change, if I can just change my behavior enough, then I'll be a good enough Christian. When God gets, what, here's, what I, here's what the gospel is. When God gets a hold of your heart, he will change everything about your life. When God gets a hold of your heart, he changes your life. The enemy whispers, you've got to get yourself straightened up first, and then God will take care of you. That's not the gospel. And what often happens is people think that they, if they change their behavior, everything else will fall on the line. So it's, it's this Zig Ziglar mindset or this motivational speaker mindset of if I do the right things, I say the right stuff, I think the right things, and I, I make my behavior right, then I'll be a better, then I can become a Christian. If I work hard enough, I can achieve my goals. That's, how many of you guys have heard that in motivational seminars? You go to any seminars, write your goals. I'm all for goals and doing these things. But when it comes to the gospel, you don't do all the right stuff and then get saved. It's you come in realizing, we're the only place, we're the only organization that says, you've got to be a mess to get in. <laughs> you've got to be a mess to get in. You have got to be a wreck to get in this place. Because all of us come to the same, come to Christ the same way. Broken. What, what does Jesus say? That God loves a broken and contrite heart. And he will not turn that away. He resists the prideful person and says, man, look at me. Look how great I... Put your thumb. I don't have lapels or suspenders. But we put our thumbs in our suspenders and say, man, God's just lucky to have a guy as good looking as me. <laughs> right? That's what some people think. We think, if, man, if I could just modify my behavior enough, then I'll be a better Christian. Or I can become a Christian by modifying my behavior. That is not the gospel. That's not the gospel. 
And this behavior modification thing leads to false and emotional conversions. I think of camp. I'll dog camp for a minute. And I've been to camp multiple times. But what you do is you put students in an environment where they hear about being a good person or being a godly person. And, and there's conviction in their life. And there's, I've been a part of some really crazy churches where there just wasn't a good presentation of what you do with the conviction that you had. It's not repentance. It's ask Jesus to come into your heart. Just ask him. Just ask him. And then, and then that, they leave it at that. Like, no, no, no. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Let's, let's, let's do that. Repent and believe. But oh, just ask Jesus into your heart. And so there's this fray or this, this status Wednesday or Thursday where there's just like this big push. And they're like, who wants to rededicate your life? And everybody's like, oh, I like that idea. Rededicate sounds awesome. It's nowhere taught in the Bible. But we use this terminology of let's rededicate. So the aisles just I mean thousands of students come forward and they're like, we're going to rededicate our lives to Christ. You cannot rededicate your, your life to something you were never dedicated to in the first place. Amen. So they're like, OK, so they feel this conviction. Like I've been having sex with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I've been drinking. I've been smoking weed. I've been doing all these different things. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rededicate. That's what I'll do. And I'll just will myself into this. I'll change my mindset. And so we go and they pray, God, I rededicate my life to you all. And at the end of the night, we get together and have a debriefing at the cabin. And everybody stands up and we start singing these songs. And the kid gets up and they get the microphone. And they're like, well, I've been having sex with Jim back home for like the last six months. And I just, I'm not going to do it anymore. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm so excited. And everybody comes up and we hug him and we get that reaffirmation. They're like, oh, you're so sweet, sweetheart. And then Jim gets up. Jim's like, yeah, I've been having sex with Sally and we've been drinking too. I've been dr- I got drunk tw- 12 times before I got to camp. And by the way, I took a hit of weed. And I just, I mean, it's just been wild. And they're like, oh, okay, well, come on. I'm going to rededicate my life. I'm never going to smoke weed again. I'm never going to get drunk again. I'm never going to have sex again. I'm going to will my way, right? We're going to do this. And then we all sing and cry and everybody's like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then Wednesday, by next, by next Wednesday, they've had sex, they've drank, they've smoked, they've done all the things. Why? Because it's, I want to change my behavior. I, I wanna ch- if I could change my behavior, then I'll be what God wants me to be. No. God wants your heart and then he'll change your behavior later. When God gets your heart, he'll change your life. So we have to understand that this is like purity of heart. Those that are seeking and longing for Christ more than anything else. This is a key to Christian freedom. So that's number one. Number two, loving others. Loving others. I am not the bottom line to my life. We need to make a Holy Spirit-filled decision that makes that, that says I'm not going to hold my liberties or my convictions over my brothers and sisters' heads. Romans chapter 14 gives us this idea. It's a very clear direction. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance 
in the way of my brother. Now, I want to just stop here because what some people will do is they'll immediately hear, don't pass judgment. So we'll immediately go, well, I can't judge, folks. I just, I'm not going to judge any people or they're going to do what they want to do. That's not what the text is saying. Listen, it says, therefore, I will not pass judgment on anyone, but I will decide never to put a stumbling block. We have to read everything in context. A lot of people will just take this way out of context and say, well, it's not my judge. It's not my job to judge. I can't. They're not. not no, I'm not going to let. They can do whatever they want. No, that's not what it's saying. Read it in context. Now, listen, verse 14. I know and I am persuaded that the Lord Jesus is, I'm sorry, that the Lord Jesus has nothing that is unclean in and of itself, but it is unclean for anyone, if it's unclean for anyone or thinks it is unclean, for if my brother is grieved by what I eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the other one for whom Christ died. So in context, what this is saying is I'm not going to hold my personal convictions. There are, there, look, I want to make it very clear. This is on secondary issues. If you read it in, te- in context here, I'm not going to get on somebody's back about secondary issues. Now, there are certain people who say, man, I, I, I just have a conviction from the Lord. I'm not going to eat pork. They have a conviction on that. That's, that's a, there's nothing wrong with that. That they have a personal Conviction that, man, I don't want to eat anything unclean. Paul says, God's given me freedom in all this. Nothing's unclean. I can eat pork if I want. But if there's a brother in the church that says, man, I can't do that. I'm not going to be like, yo, brother, come on over. Let's have some bacon together. I'm not going to invite my brother and be like, listen, I got bacon for dinner. Come on. He's like, you know this. What happens? You are no longer walking in love. You're causing your brother to stumble. So when he says, don't pass judgment, this means if my brother's got an issue with a secondary thing, I'm not going to throw it into his face. I'm not going to throw it into his face. If your brother says, man, because here's the thing. Like I said, this is a secondary issue. There is a, many times people have a struggle to understand the difference between a gospel-centered issue and a secondary issue. So I want to try to unpack that as best as I can here. This is not talking about God's moral law. God has a moral law that is set out in front, and they say, listen, this is not up for debate. So if your brother or sister walks in, if I walked into Aaron's house and said, listen, Aaron, I'm having an affair on Jamie. It's my right to have an affair. I can do what I want. Because I'm free in Christ. What's Aaron going to do? Aaron's going to slap me. He's going to slap me and say, what are you doing? Knowing Aaron and his propensity to, he'd probably be a little bit more than slap. And rightfully so. Like, he would call me to repentance and say, man, you got to get right. Quit this, repent, and get right with Jamie. That's what he'd do. This is a gospel-centered idea. The moral law that God's given us is the Ten Commandments. No lying, no stealing. Oh, it's okay if I steal a little bit. I can, I can scrape a little off. The boss will never know. I can, I can lie. A white lie is not a bad thing. No, a lie is a lie is a lie is a lie. I don't care what it is. If you lie, the scripture says you will find your part in the lake of fire. Not me. That's what Jesus said. These are the moral laws that God says we will not 
budge an inch. These are not up for debate. What we're talking about in Romans chapter 14 are secondary issues. Secondary issues. And if I came in here listening, saying, listen, I changed my mind. And we're not really saved by grace through faith alone. We're saved by grace, but we're kept by our works. That's, that's where we're going to have problems. Because that's not a secondary issue. That's not loving people appropriately by giving them a false gospel. The idea in Romans chapter 14 is I'm not going to hold my liberties or my convictions on secondary issues over my brother's head. Like, if I had a brother or sister who had a conviction on food or drink, I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to invite certain people over for bacon. In fact, there are people in this church who do have a conviction on pork. And guess what? I know that. And remember when we had our, our, our feast a couple of months ago and we cooked out on the griddle and we had all that stuff? I knew that my brother had an issue with pork. So guess what? I did the effort. And I'm not Pat. Whoa, look at Caleb. I'm just saying this is what we as Christians should do. Don't cause our brothers to stumble. I went and found kosher meat. So, and I let him know, listen, I don't want you to think you're going to be violating your conscience. I don't want you to violate your conscience. So I bought kosher meat. So this is, you can eat this. And he's like, thank you so much. Guess what? That's walking in love towards your brother. Like, if I know that my brother or sister struggles with alcoholism, I'm not going to crack a cold and be like, listen, have a drink. Why? Because I'm causing them to stumble. If I, if, well, I can hold my alcohol, Caleb. Well, great, maybe your, your brother can't. And he's like, my propensity in my family, I'm, I'm cautious. My alcoholism runs deep in my family. And my grandmother, she lived in Vanita in a padded cell. Because she was an alcoholic. I'm careful with alcohol. Now, do I just go, you can't drink? I don't say that. I'm not that guy. But man, if you know that your brother's struggling with alcoholism and you're like, here, have a natty light. Come on, man. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to do that. Number one, no, never mind. <laughs> Because the scripture gives us a very clear directive on this one. It says, don't be drunk. Amen? Like, that's what the Bible says. Don't get drunk. Like, that's, that's one of the things that God says, do not do, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if I rolled in here this morning, just lit off my rear end, and just like, hey, I love everybody. Hi. I would expect the church to take swift action to pull me out of the pulpit, number one, and number two, call me to repentance. But if, man, my, if, I'm not going to hold my personal conviction. Listen, I'm not going to listen. You can't drink. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to say, don't be drunk. If you're if you're habitually drunk, I'm going to call you to repentance. That that's a problem. But I'm not going to hold my convictions or my liberties over my brother's heads. I'm willing to love people, not control them. That's what we need to be doing: is loving people, not controlling them. And if your Christian liberty, um, in your Christian liberty, you're not the bottom line to your life. Period. You're not the bottom line to your life. So that's number two. Number three is obeying God's word. John chapter 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. In your Christian freedom, if it goes contrary to God's word, then you're wrong and you need to repent. If what you're doing, you say, man, I'm free in Christ to do this, but it violates God's word and it runs counterclockwise to God's word, 
you need to repent and get right. These are some of the guideposts that guard us on our walk in Christian freedom. Now, the scripture gives us a very clear picture of this freedom in Christ. In fact, Galatians chapter 5, we'll read that in just a second. Galatians chapter 5 says it's for freedom's sake that Christ has come. So I can have freedom. But what happened in Galatians is that there was these false brothers who were coming in and trying to mix works and grace and saying, listen, you can't do this. If you're really a Christian, you can't do that. If you're really a Christian, you've got to be circumcised. If you're really a Christian, you've got to, you've got to keep the Mosaic law. If you really, you've got to keep this, you've got to do this. They just laid out all this list of things that you had to do. And, and Paul was checking in with the church in, in Jerusalem saying, listen, we, I need to make sure our doctrines are lining up because we got these guys in the church who say they're brothers and they're saying that we're not preaching the right thing. So I just want to line up here. And Paul says, yeah, I am lining up. Paul says, no, 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 no. We're not going to fall for this. We're not going to even give an inch. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And we will not be pushed around by people who are perceived as influential. We're not going to be pushed around by people who are perceived to be influential and who preach a false gospel. We will not be influenced whatsoever. Verse 6 tells us that. Read verse 6 in Galatians 2. And from those who seemed influential... What they were to make, they make no difference to me. God shows no partiality. So those, I say, who seemed influential, they really add nothing to my life. And we're letting some people who really have no influence, influence us. And we need to stop allowing people who seem influential. Oh, they're, man, have you seen their Instagram profile? They've got millions of followers. They're preaching a false gospel, though. But, man, they've got a lot of hearts on likes. You see all that? That's really great. No, that's not great. They seem influential, but guess what? They're not going to bother me because they're no influence. They're no, they're no thing to, they're nothing to me. We will only be influenced by the gospel of Christ is what Paul says here. Paul says the only thing that's going to influence me is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is all that matters. I don't care if you, oh, they, they look, but they look cool. I don't care if they look cool. They got all, they got really cool phrases. I don't care. Their, their phrases are inspirational. I don't care. I've got the inspired word in front of me. Amen. I don't have an inspirational word. I got the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God in front of me, and I don't need anything else. Amen? And it's for freedom's sake. Galatians chapter 5, it tells us thus. It is for freedom's sake that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened against the yoke back into slavery. Don't let the world shackle you back into, listen, you've got to change your behavior in order to make God happy. No, you've got to give your heart to God. You've got to repent and believe and let God take control of your entire heart. And then your behavior will change. Then your behavior will change. Now, I will say this. If you say, man, I love Jesus Christ, but yet you're still angry, bitter, foul mouth, angry, just uh, pop off and just mean all the time. It's probably a good indication you're not a believer. Because there's, we give grace because we've been given grace. Amen? We give grace because we've been given grace. You just, 
If you continue, so I, I believe and I love Jesus, but you just slobber and drunk all the time, you probably need to repent and believe. You, you, have, you have a false emotional conversion. A works-based salvation system is only going to bring you into slavery and never into freedom. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ brings you into the ultimate freedom. Not freedom to do what you want to do, but freedom to do what you ought to do. Not freedom to do what you want, but freedom to do what you ought. That's freedom in Christ. That's what this looks like. And so Paul says, listen, we've got to get this right We've got to get this right, because if we don't get this right, man, it is a waste of our time. Amen? Let's stand together. And I'm just going to have you come up, and I just want to sing.